Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. I would like to invite Noah up. Uh, Noah is is our intern, and as you can see, we... Um, this is a really good picture of what discipleship is. I don't know if you noticed. The only thing off are on our outfits is our shoes. Uh, Tell me we're wearing brown shoes. Today. I, I didn't realize that we were going to be. He walked in the dorm like, man, we look exactly the same. That's that's what happens. I'm trying to raise you up as a pastor, right? No. Um, this, trying to be the best, dressed like the best, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> But uh, hey, uh, this, this is Noah. Um, if you haven't met Noah, he's, he's our intern from Mount Vernon Nazarene University. Um, we have been corrupting his, his mind uh, the last six weeks, and he's going to corrupt your mind here in the next few minutes. No, he, he's, he's done a great job, and he's got a, a wonderful word. Um, this is his second time in front of you bringing the word of God, and uh, I definitely believe and firmly believe that he's got a, a great word message today. But uh, I would like to uh, invite you to pray. Um, we, we, we're people of prayer. And so I'm going to pray for him, but I'm also going to pray for you uh, because of him. Uh, right? No. I'm just kidding. Heavenly Father, uh, we step into worship by worshiping you through your word, through the truth that you bring. And Lord Father, may, may that truth run deep into our spirit, to our DNA, into who we are. And may it truly transform us. I also lift up Noah here. I ask that you fill him with your presence and your spirit to overflowing. May he step into the authority that you've provided for him and given to him. And may he speak with humility, but also with power. Lord, grant him a clear mind, quick mind. And uh, Lord, may he have a sense that you're with him as he's, he's bringing the truth. Appreciate you, Lord, bringing him into our life, and we are grateful for him. It's in your name we ask, Jesus. Amen. Amen. <sighs> well, it's good to be with you all today. I noticed some of you were kind of sighing as I came up and some of you got really happy. It's okay, we'll make it through. We'll make it through. So we're on our second week of our current sermon series, Fire and Water. And so Stephen last week talked about fire and the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you end up using, you ended up using their Hebrew names, didn't you? He did. See, that joker. Everybody knows him as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they actually have two separate names. They also have Hebrew names, and he insists on using them. Uh, but 
So actually, this sermon series is a little bit different than what we're currently used to. So we're experimenting with something new here. So as we're going through this lesson down here in the sanctuary, the children are also going through the same lesson in Pier 252. Uh, they're going through the same lesson that we are. The same biblical stories, kind of the same themes a little bit. We'll probably come out with some different perspectives than maybe the children will upstairs, hopefully, I hope. Um, but I hope this gives you an opportunity, those of you who are parents, to really sit down and talk about what you guys have learned uh, from the same story. And maybe they'll give you some insights, maybe you'll give them some insights, and... I hope those conversations bring good faith formation for you as parents and for your children as well. When I was a kid, I loved movies. That was one of the ways my mother would distract me, and I loved watching movies. I loved the story and the plot elements. One of my favorite movies was Indiana Jones. I don't know if you've heard of Indiana Jones. Some of you might be old enough. Some of you might be too young. That's okay. Indiana Jones is a professor, a historian, he's an archaeologist, and also, for some reason, he has all these great fighting skills that apparently comes with being an archaeologist, and he has a whip, and he has a gun, and he shoots the bad guys and whips them, right? And so they made three, three movies, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Temple of Doom, and The Last Crusade, and I loved watching all these three movies. It's just cool as like a little kid to imagine yourself. And I was, I was a history nerd when I was younger too, so that was like even a bonus. Like someone is cool who also likes history. There are people out there like that. Unfortunately, there's not, but it's okay. <laughs> it's the world of make-believe in movies. And so in Indiana Jones, he's got three movies, but the best one I think by far is The Last Crusade. So in this movie, Indiana Jones, uh, he is looking for basically what they call the cup of Christ. Supposedly, it's the cup that someone held out to catch the blood of Jesus uh, as he died. And it's the same, supposedly the same cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper. And it's this holy relic that's supposed to have all these special powers. And, of course, so Indiana Jones is going after that cup because his dad wanted it. And so his father goes missing all of a sudden. And Wow. And so now he has to go find his father and find the Holy Grail to find his father. And of course, the ultimate bad guys show up, the Nazis. They're there, and they want the cup of Christ to win World War II. And so Indiana Jones now has to find his father and stop the Nazis and save the world from Nazi regime rule. And so there's all these like action elements and story elements, and all the movie comes like, coming in to this final scene where they come into this temple in the Middle East, so that their journey leads them to this temple in the Middle East, and this is supposedly where the final resting place of the cup of Christ is. And there's these three challenges that Indiana Jones has to face before he can get to the final room where he can find um, the cup. And so the first one is all these like saw blades, and so he has to like duck around and dodge the saw blades and not get his head chopped off. And then the second one is this floor where he has to step on the right symbols, and if he steps on the wrong one, then it all falls, and he'll fall to his doom in this, like, great pit. And then the third one is the one we're going to be focusing on today. The third one is Indiana Jones comes, comes to this final place, and it kind of looks something like this. Yep, there it is. Okay, this saved. Good. I was a little worried when the computer shut down. Um, but he comes to a place like this, and he's standing on the ledge, 
And on the other side, probably about from this pew distance to that pew distance, he's here, and the entrance where he needs to go is over there. The only issue is there is a rather large chasm between him and the place he wants to go. And seemingly no way across. There's like no rope bridge. There's nothing there. He can't like take his whip and like whip something and swing across. It's, there's just nothing there to help him. And so uh, in his, he has his father's journal through this, through these series and it's helping him like conquer the challenges, right? And so in, in the journal, all he sees is a man going like this, taking one foot and stepping. And one guy like is going across, but all the other guys are like falling off. And so, in the movie, he utters, it's a leap of faith. And so, Indiana Jones has to take that step of faith, hoping and praying that there is something there to catch him so that he can continue to walk across. And in the movie, Indiana Jones takes his foot, he steps up, and he falls. No, I'm just kidding. He makes it across he, he, find, he finds the bridge. There's a bridge. It's actually kind of cool in the movie how they, how they shift. And then you see it's like an optical illusion. Like the, the floor of the bridge was painted like the rocks, so you couldn't tell from the rocks to the floor. It's, it's, it's really cool. Um, but and he makes it. But I find that there's a lot of real-life application to Indiana Jones' situation here. Because in the movie... He doesn't really know that there's anything there. And so, basically, the whole challenge is, do you have the guts? Do you have the courage? Do you have the fortitude? And Chris is like, no, no, I don't. I don't like height. But um, do you have the fortitude to take that first step? And if the bridge is there, that's great. But if it's not, then you probably fall to your death. You know, sometimes in life, I find situations that are kind of like this event that Indiana Jones is taking place. There's, you know, situations where I don't know if I'm going to take the next step or not because I'm just too afraid to. I'm too fearful. Or maybe I take the step and then I go careening off the cliff. Sometimes that happens. Um... But it's a very sticky situation, and a situation, even though physically we don't find ourselves in with Indiana Jones, we can certainly apply that to our lives in many different ways. And so there's actually a biblical story kind of similar to the situation we find here in Indiana Jones. This actually, this story takes place on the water, since the water theme of our story uh, it's actually in Matthew, oh, sorry, wrong way. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23. And here we find this event where Jesus uh, is with his disciples. And I actually kind of want to go back before this event takes place to kind of give us some context of what's happening because it's going to help our understanding later down the line. So this story where Jesus walks on the water is part of a series of stories in Matthew chapter 14 that kind of happened back to back to back to back to back. And so the, these stories all take place like immediate, almost immediately one after the other. And so it starts with John the Baptist being beheaded. 
And so John the Baptist is beheaded, and then Jesus hears about this, and Jesus is understandably upset because that's his cousin. And they were good friends, and they were actually ministers together. And actually, probably some of Jesus' disciples are a little upset, or probably very upset, because some of them are actually disciples of John. Former disciples of John, now disciples of Jesus. But John the Baptist is beheaded, and so Jesus says, you know, I want to go to a solitary place. And so Jesus takes his disciples and goes across the lake, and then they come to the place on the other side of the lake where they find a crowd of people waiting for them, magically, somehow. People had heard that they were moving. And so now Jesus has to deal with this crowd of people, so he begins teaching them and ministering to them. And he does the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And so these three stories happen back to back. I actually forgot to mention something earlier. Earlier, Jesus had sent out his disciples to do ministry. And so now the disciples are coming back from ministry to find that one of their good friends is dead. And now they're going with Jesus to a solitary place. But now they're going to do more ministry to these people who just kind of show up there, kind of like, feed us. And so... They feed them and they teach them. And now, immediately after all this, so the disciples have been active for probably a long time, have been up for a long time, moving and working really hard with Jesus to minister to these people, probably emotionally drained, physically drained. They're tired and they need a break. But immediately the story happens after the feeding of the 5,000. And the first couple verses say this. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside to pray by himself, and later that night he was there alone. So later that night he's there alone, and the boat that the disciples were in, so Jesus tells them to go get in this boat, and they're moving over to the other side of the water. And the boat that the disciples are in, are so they're out a ways, it's considerable distance from land, and it is buffeted by the wind and the waves. Now this word buffeted is very interesting, because it literally, in... In the Greek, that word means that the waves and wind were, like, harassing them. Like, they were against them. Like, they were maliciously trying to get at the disciples, get at their boat, sink their boat. So these are rough waters and rough seas. And actually, this story is recorded three different times in the Gospels. And this, the second time it's recorded is in Mark. And Mark says that the disciples are literally straining at the oars in order to move the boat to get to where they're going. So they're taking the oars and going, heaving back and forth, just trying to get this boat to move forward to where they want to go. And if you think about it, the disciples are already very emotionally tired from all this ministry, but they're also very physically tired from all this ministry. And so I don't know about you, but I would not want to be in the middle of the night thinking to myself, why did I do this when I'm straining at the oars to get through this lake to the other side where I'm supposed to meet Jesus, and Jesus isn't even left his destination yet, left for his destination yet. And I'm taking this, and I'm straining, and I'm physically tired. And so the disciples are probably at this point just whipped. They're tired, they're hungry most likely, and they're just out of it. 
So this is what it says next. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to meet them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, and they cried out in fear. So, we have this event that happens in the scripture. And Jesus goes out, and amazingly, he's walking on the lake. Like, that's just, I like how the scriptures, that's just, you know, that's just the thing that Jesus does. He walks on lakes. But, um, but he's walking on the lake. And the disciples see the figure on the lake that is Jesus, and they cry out, It's a ghost! And they're terrified. They're literally paralyzed in fear. And some of you might be wondering, well, you know, it's shortly before dawn. You know, couldn't they just see that it's Jesus? Like, he's there? Like, but this happens in the scripture. Uh, the literal translation is it's on the fourth watch which is about a time frame of 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. But the thing about, I don't know if you've ever been out that late at night, it's actually the darkest just before the, the sun crests over the sky. Um, when I, me and my dad like to hunt and fish and other sorts of outdoor activities. And one of our favorite activities is duck hunting. And in duck hunting, there are some, there's a place called McGee Marsh, and every day they do a draw out there to see who would get to go to what duck blinds, and if you get there and you get your name drawn, that's great. If you don't, then you're out of luck. Um, but we would, we would get there early enough so that we could get in the draw so that we would have a good chance in order to get our name pulled. And so we would be up by 2 a.m., driving to McGee, out to McGee by 2.45. We get our name pulled by like 3.30. So it's like, I've been out there in that deep, pitch black darkness, and it's dark. Like, you can't see very far ahead of you. We had lanterns and such so that we could move the boat through the marshy waters, but it is completely pitch black dark out there. Remember, this is back in the first century, so there's, like, no light pollution in the sky to, like, kind of lighten up the sky. Like, this is probably, like, super dark. Like, they probably can't see 20, 30 feet ahead of them in this boat. And anything in that distance, they can't see details. There's no way they're recognizing Jesus, who's walking on the water. But Jesus is actually pretty close to the boat. And it's not recorded here in Matthew, but it is in Mark. In Mark it says that he was about to pass them by walking on the, walking on the water. So it's not like Jesus is like, let's say here's the boat. It's not like Jesus is like all the way out there. He's actually probably like right here. Looking at if the disciples can see his figure. He's right here, right next to the boat, just about. And the disciples see him. They can't make it out that it's Jesus, but they see a figure on the water. And they immediately come to the conclusion that it's a ghost. That's significant. Because in these times, most, I don't know if you've talked, maybe Dennis can provide some context on this. You were a sailor. Sailors are kind of superstitious. 
right? Sailors and fishermen are kind of superstitious. But in this culture, in this context, seeing a ghost out on the lake was not a good thing. In fact, it was a very bad omen. You were probably, the disciples are literally scared that they're about to die. That they are going to die on this lake that Jesus sent them out to in these rough waters that they're straining at the oars just to get through. And they cry out in fear. But Jesus says to them, he immediately says to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And so Jesus, to calm their fears, to identify himself, speaks into the darkness towards the disciples. And he says, take courage. It is I. Now that it is I is significant. Because here it's translated in the NIV, it is I. But a better translation I like that comes out of other translations of the gospel is I am. It just simply says I am. The Greek word is ego eimi. And this is the same statement. It's essentially the same statement in Hebrew as Yahweh. I am that I am. When Moses asks God, like, you know, you're sending me to these people, what do I call you? He goes, tell them I am. That's how you'll identify me. This is God's self-identification that Jesus is claiming. This is a divinity statement. Jesus is basically saying, take courage, for God is with you. Do not be afraid. And then Peter, of course, says, so we have like this divine moment in this passage where Jesus, the literal God-man, is walking on water, something that most people don't walk on. I don't see many people walk on water these days anyway. So he's walking on water, and he, then he makes this divine claim about himself that he is God. All right, that's what he says, I am. And so Peter says, well, you know, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And then Jesus tells him to come. And then, of course, if you're a churchgoer, you know the rest of the story of what happens. But in case you don't, I'll glean through it real quick. Um, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Then Jesus reaches down and pulls him out of the water. And he says this, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And then, of course, after that, they climb up in the boat, and then the disciples begin to worship Jesus. So, I want to go back a little bit. Oh, sorry. Wrong way. And go back to Peter. Because Peter is an interesting character in this story. Peter inserts a very human element to this divine story. And if you don't know who Peter is, Peter, also called Simon Peter in the Gospels, He's one of Jesus' disciples. He's one of kind of this 
circle of three that Jesus intimately disciples to him. He actually becomes later the leader of the disciples and one of the great leaders of the early church. But Peter has this unfortunate habit, or maybe unfortunate characteristic, of having a foot-shaped hole in his mouth. And what I mean by that is that Peter often will say things and do things that he thinks are gaining him righteousness, but are actually getting him into a lot of trouble. And Peter is this guy who has a lot of highs, like when, when he gets it, he gets it, man. And a lot of lows. And when he doesn't get it, man, he really screws up. And so, let's go back in the story for a second. So all the disciples are terrified. They see this figure in the water. They don't know what it is. They think it's a ghost. They think they're about to die. And then Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Matthew records Peter as the one responding to this. And Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. What I find so interesting about this story is when we talk about this story, uh, I find we often, the lesson we get is kind of like stay, like Peter can see Jesus and he's got his eyes on Jesus. And as long as Peter's got his eyes on Jesus, that he'll make it there. And that's partially true. And I don't want to discount that because that is a portion of the story that's important. But Peter doesn't recognize Jesus by sight at first. He doesn't know that it's Jesus with his eyes. He hears him. Peter hears that voice that is so intimately whispered to him the past two years, or however long he's been with Jesus at this time. Peter first hears the voice of Christ. And then he's still kind of not sure. So then he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you out of the water. And Jesus says, come. And I think that's an incredibly important statement because I think that really proves to Peter that Jesus is actually there. Why? Because this is a call that Jesus has had on Peter from the start of his ministry all the way, and it stretches all the way down to the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. What do I mean by that? In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls his first disciples. And in the story, Jesus, Simon, and his brother Andrew, Simon Peter, it's the same guy, Simon Peter, and his brother Andrew, were casting their net into a lake, for they were fishermen. And this is the first thing Jesus says to them. Come, follow me. And then at the end, sort of at the end of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 21, as Jesus, uh, this is the last recorded event in John's gospel, and Jesus is reinstating Peter as a disciple, because at this point, Peter, Peter has betrayed Jesus three times. And so Jesus wants to reinstate him into his ministry. And this is what he says to Peter. Jesus then said to him, follow me which is the same thing as come. 
And so what starts Peter's ministry, the word come, now he recognizes Jesus' voice by the same tone. The same tone that Jesus said to come now calls Peter out of the safety of the boat, where there is also still fear, to step out onto the water, this black void that is beneath his feet, which he could easily sink into, to step out onto that and to move on it. I wonder sometimes how many times do we hear this come and not respond? Are we like Peter in this moment? Can we hear the voice of Jesus? Even though we don't see him. I've never seen Jesus. I'll be, I'll be honest. I've never seen Jesus. I hope some of you have. But I've never seen him personally. But even though I can't see him, do I hear his voice? recognize it? And does that give me the courage to step out into what Jesus is calling me into? Sorry, I kind of lost my place for a second. Okay, there we go. And so how of course, what happens later in the story, we'll go, we'll go further. Peter steps out and he starts walking to Jesus and he's walking on the water and he's keeping his eyes on Jesus. That, and remember, he can't really see Jesus. He just kind of sees the outline figure that he recognized the voice. And now he's stepping to it. And so he's stepping out to Jesus, and all of a sudden, in the story it says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So right, Peter, man of extreme high, and then right down into the ground with the plane. So Peter starts walking. And then he notices what's happening around him. It says in the scripture he literally sees the wind. I don't know how you can see the wind necessarily, but it says he sees the wind in the supernatural event that's going on. And it causes him to be fearful. But I don't think the problem is that Jesus, or Peter, sorry, Peter sees the situation he's in. I think the problem is that Peter allows the situation that he's in to then dictate his faith on the voice that he heard in the beginning. Because remember, Peter can't see Jesus. It's just this figure. It's dark. He literally can't recognize him. He thought he was a ghost 10 minutes ago. And as he steps, as he begins to notice what's going on around him, I don't, think the bad thing, I don't think the bad thing here is that he notices. I think the bad thing is that he allows what he sees to then affect him in his faith in Christ.
faith. And that's what Jesus responds with. You of little faith. He doesn't say, Peter, why'd you take your eyes off me? He says, Peter, why'd you doubt? You heard my voice. You knew I was there. So why didn't you believe? I used the same words. I said the same thing. And so actually, Peter's actually, at this point, actually probably kind of close to Jesus. Because all Jesus has to do to save him is just reach down and pull him out. And he gives him this little talking to. And then they climb back into the boat, and the wind just stops. And everything is still. And the disciples worship Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So I want to, as we wrap up today, I promise I won't keep you for too much longer. Uh, I want to talk about faith a little bit. Sorry, long scriptures. There we go. Faith a little bit. Because I think this hearing idea has more significance than we give it credit for. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says this, For by faith, we live by faith, sorry, for we live by faith, not by sight. And so the context of this statement is Paul is talking about um, waiting for the new body and the new life that is to come and not clinging to the things that are here in this world. We live by what we hear from God. Not necessarily always by what we see around us. And in the same way, Paul said, someone says in Hebrews, we're not sure who the actual author is, but in Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, verse 1, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. And then Paul goes, and then I think it's Paul, but Paul goes down in the rest of the chapter to describe all these people who have lived by faith. But what's interesting is their faith always leads them to action. And so Peter's faith that Jesus is calling him at the beginning of, the, of, his, story, of his part in Matthew's story calls him to action, to step out. But the issue is when Peter lets go of that faith, sees the circumstance around him, and then gets swallowed up by it. So I don't know what situation you're in. And I don't pretend to know the intricate details of other people's lives. But Jesus doesn't call us to live safely in the boat. To live safely by our own ways. But calls us to step out into deep waters. 
but we're not going to sink. And Peter steps out. And as long as he kept his faith in Jesus, Peter would have made it all the way and hugged Christ right on that lake, probably. And they would have returned together, walking the same way they came back. So what I'm hoping you're getting from this is that we as Christians do not live our lives by faith, by sight, by the things we see all the time. Now, it's important to acknowledge the situations we're in. I'm not saying that. Don't be in denial. Live in reality. Right? A theologian of the cross tells it like it is. That's Martin Luther. Paraphrase. <laughs> But don't let your reality dictate your faith and the trust you have in Christ to keep you walking on the lake. Because you'll reach him eventually. You know, my friends, what a happy day that will be. Let's go to the Father. Father, we thank you for this word. Oh, Lord, it's a good word. And we have enjoyed to watch how you move in your service and among your people. And Lord, in these closing moments, I just ask that we would not be scared to step out of the boat, Father. That we could hear your voice like Peter did, recognize you. And by that and that alone, have the confidence to move to where you are, Lord, in the uncomfortable situation. Help us to step out. Help us to be more. Not by our own strength or by our own will, Father, but by yours and yours alone. And Lord, when we do fall, when we do sink, and we cry out, Lord, save us. You will be there as Jesus was there for Peter, extending down your hand of grace, waiting to pull us back up. And so, Father, our circumstances may not always be clear, like that dark and stormy night on the sea for the disciples. But, Lord, you are always out there in the storm. So help us to focus on you and your presence in those times. Lord, help us to live bold in these days. Give us the strength and power of your Holy Spirit among your people. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus, your precious and holy name. reminded this morning that Jesus always calls us to greater. He called Peter to greater. And he's calling us to greater. And sometimes we got to take that step. Gingerly, we might falter, but he's there. You are a group of people that is called to greater. 
and you've shown that over and over and over again. Would you please stand? If you won't mind. And the greatest thing that we can do is love the Lord our God with all our heart and our soul and our strength. So we ask you, please love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the next great thing is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we ask you, please love your neighbor as yourself. Be loved people, loving people to Jesus Christ, inviting them into that. We love Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.